Hello again and welcome to the Red Dwarf Introcast, where longtime fans and newbies alike finally get back to talking about Red Dwarf, episode by oh. episode, instead of Shaun of the Dead and Candy. Um, and Christmas. This week, we're going to be talking about uh, the most current series. We've finally caught up to Series X. And uh, we're going to be talking about Series uh, 10, Episode 1, Trojan. And Shane's going to tell us what that's about in a minute. But first, my name is Heath. I'm Angela. I'm Shane. I'm a Swedish vehicle driver. (laughs) Watch out for that moose. And we have three special guests this week. Uh, I'm Nick. Hello. I'm Rosie. Uh, I'm Seb. Hello, Nick, Rosie, and Seb. We've got a full room. (laughs) A very full room. Let's hope that Skype holds out. Um, Before we get going, uh, would you all like to just briefly introduce yourselves again and uh, and let folks know who you are and why you're here and where they might find you on the interwebs if you'd like to plug something? Uh, Yeah, I'm Nick. I play drums in bands, as you do. Uh, Rivalries are fun if anyone wants to check them out. Um, And for the purposes of this episode, I was at both the recording and the uh, premiere at the Prince Charles Cinema. Nice. Um, which I thought I was going to be the authority on this episode, but now Seb's here. I'm a little dismayed. <laughs> I'm just. But, there you go. <laughs> Aww. But yeah, there we go. Rosie. Uh, well, I'm Rosie. I've been on lots of times before. <laughs> just stumbled into this episode again, um, and my podcast is called Aboard the Night Bus, where we do a chapter by chapter read through of the Harry Potter books. Um. Yeah, and we recently released a Christmas special with Heath and Angela, Yay. which was, yeah, <laughs> lots of fun. Um, yeah, apart from that, I think you you know everything about me. <laughs> awesome. Provider of candy. Provider yes. of candy. Provider of sweets to the US. <laughs> okay. okay. And Seb. Hello. Um, yeah, well, I am, uh, if you don't know, I'm the editor of the official Red Dwarf website, uh, which obviously Heath and Angela aren't allowed to know anything about because they haven't been able to visit it because, spoilers, but you are only now five so episodes close. away. So close Finally now. Finally able to read it. Um, yeah, I would, I mean, love, I would so, love it by the, time, by the time we get to Red Dwarf, the episode six, <laughs> the, uh, the, the suddenly announced Red Dwarf 11, and, and they come that week. And you're like, oh, damn. <laughs> Never know. Um, it would just be our luck. <laughs> I, I really hope that isn't any breaking news, Seb. And you actually come onto the show to announce Red Dwarf. I haven't. That, I'm afraid. Oh, thank, no. thank you. But, but, it, but when there is news, reddwarf.co.uk is the first place that you'll see it. Because, uh, yeah, as I say, it's the official site. It's run by Grant Earlier Productions. Basically, even when the show's not on the air, um, GMP always like to have to maintain a kind of active web presence so for since since 2000 the site has existed um so you know there's there's only been two years in its entire existence where the show has been actually in production um (laughs) and it was for many years under the auspices of andrew ellard uh who did an admirable job of keeping it running managing to come up with some kind of news article that was in some way tenuously connected to red dwarf or its cast (laughs) every single friday and a very good Uh, job he did too yes uh and then sort of that's interspersed with kind of longer features about the show um basically so andrew was running that up until 2011 um but he's 
become a very busy man with his screenwriting and script editing career. Um, so I was picked by him and then by GNP to, well, I was suggested by Andrew and then approved by GNP to take over the job of doing that basically about two months before series 10 started filming. So I had a bit of, a <laughs> of, uh, of stuff to, you know, to cover in, in my first couple of months on the job. Um, prior to that, I spent several years working uh, with the fan site Ganymede and Titan. Um, I wrote a lot of stuff for them, was involved, heavily involved in doing the dwarf casts and so on. Um, prior to that, I had played Doug Naylor in a fan film, uh, which somehow <laughs> didn't prevent him from then giving me the job running the website, which I'm a bit surprised by. But <laughs> nice. that was that was kind of my where I sort of first got into Red Dwarf fandom properly was I'd, I'd started chatting to the Ganymede and Titan guys. Uh, we did a fan film together. We ended up collaborating on the site and, you know, it just kind of snowballed from there uh, and has put me in this ridiculous position that I'm in now. Um, aside from that, I do another podcast about comics uh, called Alternate Cover, which you can find on my comics blog, alternatecover.com. We're just on our end of year special if you like to listen to people in a pub for two hours talking about comics with a lot of background noise. And who does uh, And I'm, I'm a freelance writer and I write for Den of Geek and uh, BBC America's Anglophonia blog and a few other places like that all around the internet. I, I'm in far too many places on the internet, basically. How are you actually having the time to do anything he's typing with his feet so right now i do actually do all of this around a full-time job as well my full-time <laughs> job has nothing to do with any of the writing that i do so i'm still not entirely sure to be honest still uh social media and internet is a form of technical communication translates into many useful skills and i've written a paper on that um yes so, <laughs> so well, i should say that the red wolf uh uk has a very, very active forum yes it's a bit quiet at the moment because there's been no series, but um, it does pick up a lot when the when there's actually episodes being produced and broadcast. And it's got a hardcore clique. I say hardcore, not has in not a clique of members, but it's got a group of members who've been with it through thick and thin, and who are a very welcoming community. So yeah. and a, a number of them listen to this. So hello, Red Wolf Forum. You don't all annoy me in the slightest. So so when you say that it has a lot of hardcore members, are they like Nigel then? <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Um, because Nigel's nice. Um, <laughs> moving. Okay, well, so since you're not terribly busy or anything, we can uh, keep going. Uh, I, I'm going to assume that you're typing an article for something with your feet right now. Pretty um, much, yeah. yeah. All right, well, uh, Shane, uh, kick us off. Tell us what Trojan is about. Condoms. I am very, very disappointed that my prediction did not hold up. Okay. It was one of your least <laughs> your least accurate ones. A, a rare, rare miss, love. <laughs> the, the crew discovers the pristine empty spaceship Trojan and use it to travel to the edge of the Columbus 3. Mm-hmm. To answer to answer dress call from uh, Rimmer's brother Howard who used to bully him. However, Rimmer is too proud to accept help, too proud to help until he can equal Howard in rank and become an officer. He thus has 15 hours to sit there after a navigation promotion exam. Cool. Yeah, so actually, the uh, uh, all of our predictions sort of fell short. I mean, it wasn't particularly themed around that. I suppose there at the very end, then... They do infect the the simulant with a virus, so maybe that yeah. kind of Trojan, but little in the way of Trojan horse or anything. 
you might have had a better chance of guessing it if it had had its original uh, working title, which was Slow Rescue. Ah. Uh, which ah. obviously refers to the amount of time it takes for them to rescue Howard. Uh, I think that title was basically dropped in the end because Slow Rescue doesn't really sound like a very exciting and thrilling first adventure <laughs> in a brand new yeah. series. That was kind of rescue. Really slowly. Cat is, <laughs> cat is stuck in a well. Let's get the. <laughs> yeah, okay. that was actually in the uh, Robert Llewellyn's autobiography, mm. and it's in my notes, but I wasn't going to use it because there are so many factual inaccuracies in Robert Llewellyn's autobiography <laughs> about this Aww. episode. No, that, that that one is on RedDwarf.co.uk as okay. well, in the complete guide. So you can rest assured that that one's accurate. Okay, <laughs> lovely. Comes from Seb. <laughs> we know it's right. <laughs> so this episode, just I guess as on the whole, it really, um, <laughs> I guess to, to coin, uh, to, to borrow Rosie's terminology, it did feel quite a bit more like Red Dwarf than <laughs> a lot of the previous seasons of Red Dwarf. Was Red Dwarf. <laughs> well, um, it, I, I was saying this earlier, it feels very much like, like, they're no longer self-conscious about making Red Dwarf. Like, they're no longer saying, okay, we have to make a Red Dwarf and be aware of everything else that Red Dwarf has done and be aware of it as a phenomenon at a sh- and a show. They're just like, oh, we're just going to make an episode of Red Dwarf. Yeah. I, it, and that made it like, better. <laughs> yeah, they, they stripped it right back. Mm-hmm. Didn't go with the gimmicks or the cheap yeah. graphs necessarily and, and just didn't go right back to where where it came from but worked with what they knew and and um yeah stripped it back with less actors <laughs> yeah and, uh, <laughs> and um i don't know more confinement in a way but yeah, yeah although we I had a kachansky uh mention yeah so maybe she's not completely out of the canon yet maybe we have a chance for more <laughs> kachansky a, a, a kachansky chansky who knows <laughs> What do you think? (laughs) I'm ignoring that bad gag. (laughs) What do you think of the opening titles? Oh, they look sharp. Yeah. Very, yeah. Um, I need to rewatch them. Yeah, I... Okay. In earlier seasons, we had had watched all the opening titles and tried to predict the what was going to happen this season, and I feel like that can almost be a bit too spoilery. But just yeah. the, I did notice there seemed to be a lot of like space fighter action. Like it looked like mm-hmm. a clip from Star Wars, um, which is very unusual for Red Dwarf. I mean, yeah, you've got your occasional replicant attack or giant space thing, but uh, it. it you know, aliens don't exist, so, um, you know, what are they fighting? So I'm, I'm a bit curious about simulants. that. Yeah, I guess more simulants. Who knows? <laughs> All simulants. Very explosion heavy. Yeah. But the Red Dwarf itself, uh, once the episode started, looks great. Mm-hmm. I really like, um, I'm assuming it's a model. It sure looked like the, the model shot. It is. Okay, yes, good. It's, 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 it's a very old is. model. Actually, um, yes. what it is—is is it the one that Ian dropped? 
Um, this is this is the model that was built around the time of Series Eight and the remastered. The the oh, the the, the, they only model. they only got one the, shot of it in the in yeah the, the yeah. one that they built that was too big that they couldn't film um, and that was so was then turned into CGI instead. Um, this was basically dug out of storage. Um, the, basically, Doug made a conscious decision that he wanted to work with model shots. He nice. was well aware of the fact that the fans very heavily wanted to go back to models um on on the, not i won't keep going on about the site but on the site we did the, the week that we announced <laughs> that it was quite a it was a it was a big announcement it was hey look they're doing models be excited and everyone was very excited um so what they did was they basically chopped the middle out of it uh, you can actually see I they, thought they... it looked shorter <laughs> It is. It's. It's essentially. It's. It's had the middle section chopped out so that it's only got the one meteor. Uh, but it. But other than that, I mean, it's. You know. So it's. It's similar, but not the same as what they did with that brief CGI shot at the beginning of Back to Earth, because mm-hmm. that was a shrunk down Series Eight model, but with the boosters done in a slightly different way. Mm-hmm. So essentially, as of Back to Earth, you know, the continuity of the ship is. It's a shorter version, but the style is more the. Um, the Series Eight style model um so that was used for um the kind of various flybys and stuff they then did also build something called a, a bigature uh essentially a big miniature uh whenever you see a fly past <laughs> of the red dwarf That's logo awful <laughs> sorry a bigature hey it's a model terminology it's like the um, jumbo shrimp yeah um so whenever you see a flyby of the red dwarf nameplate mm-hmm. that is actually a large flat sheet that is sort of probably about six feet or so tall and about eight feet or so wide um, that they built in order to do those close-ups because they tried doing close-ups of the actual logo on the ship and it it didn't look great in high def in extreme close-up i think it looks great when they're doing shots from a slight distance but um you know they did give the model a, a thorough repaint and a refurbishment but um, you know, high def tends to show up models, the flaws on models and the, and the detail a lot more if you go close in. So yeah, hence you, why they built the bigger piece. The bigger see, piece also had interchangeable sections so that they could do different cargo bay bits and stuff if they needed to. Right. So. Did and Craig then, Charles have to paint it? <laughs> <laughs> in his spacesuit. <laughs> Sorry. That would have been funny if they just had the car sat around painting the model all afternoon. <laughs> Um, maybe they could do that for Red Dwarf Unplugged. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Model building with Craig Charles. <laughs> no, no, like Robot Wars. <laughs> nice. Nice. Um, let's see, speaking of the cast. So the cast looks... Um, I notice a few changes here. It seems that Rimmer has a new uniform. It's still blue, but it's not poofy, and it no longer has that red undersheen to it. It's just a straight blue uniform. Mm. Yes. Um, I can only think that they're trying to keep it plainer to tie it back to the earlier seasons. Maybe I, I think it, it, me, it looks but... very series three, doesn't it? It's yeah. kind of mm-hmm. like a blue version of the series three one, which yeah. Uh, but it, but it's it's symmetrical. It doesn't have the sort of the asymmetrical, uh, you know, flap or whatever. Uh, it's yeah. actually you know sort of symmetrical across two sides but, but it's the to me the, i think it's the color is the big change to me because it always he he had blue and then there was like a purpley red shine to it and now yeah. it's just blue which mm. isn't yeah, it's just a matte color isn't it? um I like yeah green. i think that oh. the whole the whole feeling to this series is that it, it like with <laughs> with series nine i'm gonna say it i don't care <laughs> <Series> <laughs> nine. it's not a series it's official a, word I'm, from I, doug it's I, not I am 
going to say series nine. Not really. <laughs> um, it was almost a little bit flashy, and um, with this, it sort of almost feels that they've gone back to mm-hmm. series two, three, four. Um, yeah, with the uniforms. And, yeah, the uniform yeah. is a metaphor for the show, huh? <laughs> yeah. I like it. <laughs> yeah. It also looked like Rimmer was hitting the gym a bit. Uh, yeah, Chris Berry looked much... Uh, well, I have to be careful here because here in, in the States, when we say fit, we mean like healthy... Um, <laughs> so, and I know fit... Yeah. That Chris Berry well is really fit. fit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But Which, no, to be yeah, fair, he... would make you like ninety percent of Red Dwarf fans on the internet. Well, there you so. go, there you go. Uh, but no, yeah, he looks he looks like better now than he did during series eight and nine. Yeah. Well, there there is a question yeah. among fandom, and I hope we don't have to get into it too deeply because it has plagued fandom as to whether or not Chris Berry's hair is embellished in series 10 or not the official answer is a very resounding no Ah. but there are some fans who refuse to accept the official explanation of events yeah i don't know what was going on i don't know what was going going on with the barry's hair it looked like mini sand dunes on his head (laughs) (laughs) yeah i wasn't even thinking about the hair but yeah i guess that was different now that i think of it Hmm. because his hair is very short yeah yeah very Mm thin um, it's very short in real life as well the last yeah. few years I think that's why some people had trouble believing that he'd just grown it out mm-hmm. Yeah, um, because yeah generally in public appearances and stuff uh, he does have it trimmed very very as as Rimmer would like to have it trimmed yeah sure <laughs> but then I, 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 I think that, that 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 question kind of falls flat when you watch any of the behind the scenes stuff and he's just like wandering around the set with a really scruffy hair that he's grown out. I think he grew, I think he grew it out so that they could style it in that way because in the very first photos of them doing read throughs. Yeah. He's got a big fluffy curly mop on top basically. Mm. (laughs) Um, let's, I mean, not let's, uh, Crichton's nose on the makeup is very, I don't like his makeup. This series. It is different makeup people. Hmm. Yeah, it's not crazy. They... His, his eyes are the worst ones for me. Like those bags and wrinkles that kind of show yeah. up. He, on his eyes. he had trouble with the makeup. Um, there was he. Um, there was something in the makeup that I think reacted badly with his eyes. Oh. Uh, I know that throughout the kind of six weeks, I think he talked about this on Twitter a little bit at the time that he was having trouble and some kind of allergy. Um, and I, I, I do kind of wonder in Trojan if it's a case of they were trying to get certain things right because. The, one of the first scenes that would have been shot because it was a pre-record is the climactic sequence on the Trojan. Um, yeah. That whole sequence with uh, Sim coming back and the, uh, the negative emotions drive and stuff, that was pre-record that was shown to the audience. Mm. And I think that, I think the mask looks really ropey there. And I think something, they obviously just hadn't quite got it right. I think by the time they came to do the recordings, the actual audience recordings, I think it had got better. But there is, it, there's a shot where it almost looks like he's melting there. And I yeah. think it's just a case of, you know, they obviously just had to, make the best of what they could and improve it as they went on i think they did improve it as the series goes on but yeah yeah um, i think they, it took some getting to grips with you know well i think you may have answered one of my questions there so it sounded like the live audience is at least partially back then yeah oh yeah oh, oh, yeah um in a, in a big way um it was yeah. again this was something that was very much a, from the beginning was something they wanted to do uh it did cause budget problems further down the line but it's not worth telling a shortened version of that story. Uh, when, you, when you've watched the, the full series, yeah. um, go and check out the two-hour documentary on, the, uh, on the, the DVD, which is titled We're Smegged. 
Uh, yeah, I was watching bits of that again today, and it's just amazing how they sort of managed to pull this series mm. together when you watch kind of but the, the problems that they had. Yeah, but the audience was was a big part of it. So it was, yeah, I mean, aside from pre-recording certain technical scenes during the week, as they mm-hmm. used to in the old days, for the most part, things were shot in front of a live audience, 300 people at Shepparton. Um yeah, that was. They always said that was crucial to the feel of the series, and I think I think it pays off in Trojan pretty much straight away because of the moose scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, definitely. yes, that's yeah. Were you were you there? Were you there, Seb? I was. Way? Yes. Yeah. yeah. You just the reaction from the audience as Cat walked in was exactly. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that Cat doesn't have to say anything. He walks into the room, and you everyone in the audience and everyone watching at home who's a fan of the show knows exactly how that scene is going to play out. <laughs> so they're laughing in advance of the yes. dialogue because the moment Cat walks in, you've got the punchline to the entire scene. Mm-hmm. Then you actually get the punchline, and because of Danny's timing, and because Danny in particular plays off an audience so well, the timing makes it even better. And you have a moment where he has to ride the laugh yeah and i know that in series seven they did the thing of leaving the artificial spaces um, for laughter to be dropped in but there is a scene that if they had shot expecting an audience he wouldn't have known to pause for that perfect moment of time there while the audience laughed Mm -hmm. yeah it's just absolutely just that was the Mm -hmm. moment where sitting in that audience and obviously you've got a room full of people and there's kind of this and nick if you you know you were there so you'll know this as well this palpable sense of tension of is it going to be everything we hope for you know Mm -hmm. is it going to be back on form have they still got it in front of a live audience? That scene was the scene where, from that moment on, they just had the room for the yeah. rest of the night. It's sold at that point, and they've got it. Yeah. Well, I will say, and you know, I don't even know that we need to go like point by point in this, but like um, that scene, uh, and even the scene just with uh, with Rimmer and Crichton talking about uh, the the uh, officers' exam. Um, the dialogue seemed snappier. Rimmer was very much. As you say, back on form, it felt more like that sort of snide, almost um, blackaddery humor that that he had in the earlier seasons. Um, mm. And he wasn't just you know randomly insulting people to be insulting. Mm-hmm. It, it was his usual scheming and conniving and uh, completely undeserved uh, sense of superiority. It, it was coming through a lot better than it than it has in some of the more recent series. I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's written. I mean that that was the the first uh, scene that they shot in front of the audience, and it's written so well that you kind of from like you you get a sense that it's going to be an amazing show, and then like as Seb said, as soon as that that moose gag sort of mm-hmm. uh, pays off, you that, that was it. We were in it for the for the whole night then. All right. Um, yeah, well, it was interesting that they shot it the other way around. The, yeah, the, I'm just going to comment on that. The, the pig racing scene wasn't shot first. Mm. Um, they opened with that that scene with Crichton and yeah. Rimmer, and then went back and did the pig racing scene. And I think I think that was a, a wise decision. The pig racing scene isn't bad, especially, but it's just that 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 Rimmer and Crichton scene is so it's got that classic feel. Yeah, and it definitely. almost like it, it was like it was easing the audience in, and it was yeah. just saying, "Yes, this is Red Dwarf as you remember and, it." And mm-hmm. very early on, I remember Chris stuttering his lines and it just that i think that it helped ease the tension a bit as well so everyone mm. was kind of sort of sat there with bated breath and then when chris messed up it kind of like everyone kind of relaxed a little bit uh, heath and angela have you have you guys watched any smeg ups yet some yeah for some of the series not all of them um but yeah we, mm-hmm. 
just because that's just such a big part of Red Dwarf. Yeah, mm. part part of the experience mm. is the way that they react when they screw up. So, yeah, yeah, Chris Berry says, will, yeah, will miss a line, and then he'll go off into one of his accents. <laughs> yeah, and then exactly. uh, Crichton like will that. completely forget a line, and then <laughs> walk off and forget the line five more times. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that's when, when you go to an audience recording, you, you kind of you expect to be as entertained by the smeg ups as you are mm. by the actual show. Yeah. And that was definitely the case as well. Yeah, yeah, of course. Chris Berry's um, mini should... impressions that Angela and I don't really know who they are. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I should point out that um, one of my favorite jokes in the well, one of my favorite jokes in the two episode, and not many people notice this little one. But on the Orjoy shopping channel it has got the number, and it says in very, very small writing, the calls may be monitored to, for tabloid purposes. Um, I, rank, I, rank, I called that number today. <laughs> Did you get an answer? Number? No, the line's dead. It, it's, it's, it's nothing. I've, well, I suppose I'm actually noticed the phone number, and it's like an 0800 number, which is for Ethan Angela's thing. It's a pre phone number. Yes. Um, so. Woohoo! Ring. Of five 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 in this country. Yeah. It's like you know, we don't have yeah. a number that's set aside for fiction to use. Oh, so people yeah. will just put random numbers or sometimes they'll have a bit of fun and they'll actually set up a phone line you know yeah. that, that you like can Ghostwatch. Ring like Ghostwatch, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean you, you know, I I presume you said at the time, you know, Ghostwatch, that phone number was the main BBC yeah. that was a number mm-hmm. that every was familiar with so yeah. that was even more uh but anyway that's ghost watch mm-hmm. um but yeah it's, it is just funny that you know you there is no thing of a number that you see on screen and you instantly know it's fake because it's 555 mm-hmm. i was like how in the simpsons they call it klondike 5 like kl5 because those are the letters on the keypad but oh nice anyway. <laughs> um but yeah uh so the humor definitely is back on forum uh cat is doing what cat does best just adding a, a bit of a bit of humor to the scene uh with his innocent style of of ignorance um the driving moose i loved Um, i I was a little worried about the focus on you know buying the thing from the shopping network because that seemed like a joke that has been played over and over and over and i was like ah this thing but then the lengths that they take this joke they committed spans the entire episode it's it's one of those where the laughs you get out of it justify the fact that if you sit down and think about it there is a slight logic problem with it but it doesn't really matter because it's funny and it's funny throughout the episode like you say yeah Uh, and it and it has a proper payoff you know Mm -hmm. it's got a it's it's a pretty predictable payoff, but it's a good payoff nevertheless at the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's not well, the like... dedication oh. that Remmer or uh, Lister. sorry Lister puts into that joke is just the mm. best. Can I can I get back for one second? Sorry, Shane. No problem. Because <laughs> you know what I'm going to say. Um, I, I I am a fan of the moose joke, but I don't think it was as great as everyone said it was. Oh, get out. <laughs> <laughs> Well, first off, moose is a funny word. It is. Yeah. All right. okay. moose, moose are innately funny. You can all take me on. Go for it. <laughs> uh, as as shown in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. The moose okay. once bit my sister. I'm writing this down. <laughs> can you guys guess what the UK's top trending topic on Twitter was the night that 
read that, that this episode was broadcast. Moose. Was it about a hat? It was Moose. Yeah. Mo- Moose actually <laughs> topped the trending topics in the wow. UK that night. So, I never wet my... Right, I literally... I laughed so much a little bit of weekend came out. Well, let me, let me ask this, because I know somebody it, has... It wasn't, it wasn't about the actual... When he said, it's a moose. Mm. It was when he said, is he Swedish? Yeah. So I, I don't, I, is he it Swedish? Wasn't it? Was he Swedish? That, that, that was when I, was, I, I went. Yeah, I was gone. The best, the best thing for me was when, uh, like, when we went to see the, like, the episode at the, the premiere the night before when they, they showed you at a cinema in Leicester Square. I'd completely forgotten about that gag. So it, you know, this was like 10 months later after the recording. So when it came around again, I was in just as much a fit, fit of laughter <laughs> the second time round. Mm-hmm. Um, because I just I completely forgotten it was going to happen. And then you see Cat walking again, and uh, and then I sort of twigged, and yeah, the yeah, along with the entire cinema, just kind of fell about. Yeah, no, I <laughs> I agree with you. It, uh, but it, I, at the end, I was thinking, oh no, come on now, just get the gag over with. Well, yeah, uh, you <laughs> know, it's not even that long a gag. It's only like, I know, but it, that's just me. There's yeah, some jokes I mean... that are like that. Like I was never. I thought the light bulb gag was funny. But the the completely the over the top response that people give it, I'm like, there's a lot of funny jokes in Red Dwarf. Why does the light bulb gag get? Yeah. Uh, why is that the one that people gravitate? So you know, I don't know. Maybe some there's things a, yeah. just I catch think, on. I think, I think joke I think about that, lights that, in Legion, which is when Rimmer wants to buy the light switch. That's a better joke than the light bulb yeah, gag in yeah. the very same episode. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I think the light bulb gag works so well because it reverberates through sci-fi genre as a whole because in mm-hmm. like in every space sort of adventure program you'll have like red alert uh, let's step up to red alert or whatever yeah and yeah no one's ever sort of considered about how that would happen short of okay you'd have two separate lights <laughs> fair enough but the, just the, the thought that to do that on red wolf of course they're gonna have to change the light bulb <laughs> yeah that incompetent and, and like I said, it's yeah. funny but for it to become like almost the defining joke of the series i, I didn't know that I, d- I didn't quite see it as that funny, but yeah. Is there is there a smeg up involving that gag that I'm vaguely remembering, which might aid to the fandom? Well, there was there was the the Dalek uh, thing that they did on one of the the fundraisers. Red Wolf, right? Yeah, I, th- I think there might just be Red a Wolf, take right, yeah. where Rimmer corpses because I've got a vague yeah. recollection oh, of him struggling okay. to get I through. Think the, that's there's what always thinking. some excuse line. I think it's just that he corpses afterwards. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, I, I want to hear why Rosie doesn't like. The moose I, it's not that I don't like it, but for me, I I just found because she it, hates Canada. I, I hate <laughs> Canada. You're correct, Heath. Oh, Canada, <laughs> our sweet. Sorry. For me, I the, the jokes in Red Dwarf are the ones that just go bam, here it is, and then move mm. on with no explanation. And I, you know, that's just my taste. Well, I just and I'm not going to quote, but the hat one. Hmm. It's very yeah. much yeah. one I, of my favourites because it's I just a throw-in. Yeah, yeah, it's just a throw-in joke, well, and I, then it's just washed over. I am wondering. I love that about Red Dwarf. I know one of you has researched this. Is that factoid about uh, accidents true? Were a majority yes, because it had been reported in the media a few months before Doug wrote the episode. Ah, okay. It was one of those funny stories that went round the British newspapers, gotcha. and Doug obviously picked it up and decided to put it in the episode but Lovely. as far as i'm aware yeah it is genuine yeah and it's well done i'm not saying that but for me it's just it's just 
the length of it and by the end going, oh no, I know what's going to happen. And I know that everyone else had the opposite reaction to that. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking, oh, just, you know, say a one-liner and move on. <laughs> well, speaking of moving on, let's get to the actual <laughs> plot of the episode <laughs> in which they find, well done. They find the Trojan. Um, it was just a barrel of laughs all the way through. So here's here's the okay. So they find the ship. Um, I was a bit confused, and I don't know. I almost talking with Angela. I think I've almost developed a theory about what's happened here, or maybe the episode said it, and I didn't understand. But reflecting back on the episode, I'm thinking, okay. First off, apparently another ship has survived three million years. Well, two oh, more. No, no, two no, more no, ships. No, 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 okay, no, no. so did did the quantum drive move them in time and space? Yes, that yes. appears to be okay. the suggestion. It's okay. not explicitly clear. That was yeah, it, it was very unclear. How are yeah. they brought forwards to their time because it contracts time and space? Oh, yeah. it took him to. Okay, so they're still... Oh, yeah, it doesn't take them back to him. They're gotcha. still three million years. It brings Howard okay. forward to that. Yeah. Okay, that fixes it. Thank yeah. you. You kind of need to have watched it twice because there's the explanation about the rod that Crichton gives. Mm-hmm. And then when you hear uh, hear that it's Howard on the radio, Crichton says, like, how is this possible? Is it the rod? And then they just move mm-hmm. on. Yeah. There's also... The thing I think gives it away is that Sim is a simulant, yeah. but she is a simulant who works on a ship and she is obviously at the beginnings of uh, yeah. the simulant yeah. rebellion that turned them all evil so from yeah, that you can infer up. that she is from millions of years ago because the simulants haven't gone evil yet she's They're a cylon to... she's a cylon <laughs> but i've just thought this if this is the case why is howard why is howard dead and why does rimmer not know about it if he's from rimmer's timeline Originally. Well, in the same it way might, as Howard doesn't never. know what happened to Rimmer, it must have happened to Howard after Red yeah, Dwarf went missing, the, because he yeah. says, we thought you all went down yeah, yeah. On, on the Red Dwarf. Right. I'm being um, stupid, I'll take it back. Yeah. But... There's no explanation for how Howard died, uh, yeah. although I did write one in the Space Corps guide on the official website, <laughs> which was that he died in a freak chicken soup nozzle accident. Well, then here... You're making up that's canon now, well, that's, that's my contribution to canon until it's contradicted by Doug. Well, here, here's my question, then. So okay. if Howard was a uh, soup nozzle repairman like Rimmer, uh, we know why Rimmer was brought back as a hologram. Why was Howard chosen as the hologram to bring he might, back? He might be the only one who died. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, this, no he explained it in the episode. He said um, to go under attack, he hid under a ch- table. Um, the, crew, the crew were still alive when he was brought back, and even though the crew did then all get killed by simulants, obviously there wasn't enough time for the ship's computer to go, oh, I'm going to switch Howard off and bring the captain back, because they escaped the ship before he had a chance to be switched off. Okay. That's the only or, I would make. Or, or the simulant made sure that Howard was still the only one who is kept as a hologram, because he was the only one stupid enough to not realize that the simulant was evil. That's a good one. That's a very That's good, good point, theory. Yeah. Top theorying theorizing. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I'll okay. see if I can write that into the guide somewhere. So that that's much <laughs> yeah, better yeah, because type, I was I was wondering how he had spent three million years wandering around with the simulant, not realizing that she was evil. <laughs> now that's okay. This this fixes just like a lot. just like every every so often she'd be hiding his stuff, and he'd be like, "Hang on, you're not very nice, are you?" And she'd be like, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, okay. We noticed. Have you noticed that, that once? Um, to, oh, question. Right, the ship that Howard was on, mm-hmm. the Columbus. Yeah. 
Is that got engine failure? Did it have engine failure or something like that? Okay. So something like that. The engines were dead, and it was it was in a death spiral or something. Yeah, yeah. toward a okay. toward a meteor shower. Meteor shower. Yeah. Right, and they get saved by the um, this. Do you know what? I watched the episode about an hour ago. Yeah. And I, felt like I just everything's got. What's the name of the ship that they're on? What's the, the name Trojan. of the episode? The Trojan. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. It. The Trojan. No, it was confusing because there oh. was two new ships. Yeah, there's the Red so... Dwarf, the Trojan, and then his ship, which I don't the know Columbus. that we. Yeah, the Columbus. Three. The Columbus. Yes. yes. Right. But uh, like Kat said, why don't we just take the ship? Mm-hmm. And then Crichton said it's not flight worthy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How is it staying up in? Why is that not going into a death? Because it's floating. It's a derelict. It's yeah. like the der- it's like the derelict graveyard in. Uh, blah, 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 uh, Rimmerworld yeah. or Gunmen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's just it's just floating. The, yeah. You can actually see it's not totally clear, but the first shot when they approach it, it's got damage on it. There's little black spots. The suggestion is that it's that the Trojan was attacked and everyone was either killed or abandoned it. But it's right. just been floating there in space, basically. But well, the, thing wish... is, the thing is, with you, you've got the Quasar Rod. Yeah. Right. It says it can fix and bring things together. Hmm. Why did it not just fix the Trojan? Now you're thinking too much. See, I, I think <laughs> I was kind of wondering just, if they is... would, but it's like why don't they use the time drive in Tika to ride to go back to their own time? <laughs> it's one of those questions you can't ask because otherwise the plot doesn't happen. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just no, but have you noticed how they always find these random objects which are yeah. vital to, like the time drive, the quasar rod, the something, whatever it was in um, series eight, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Happen to come across the heart of gold. Yeah. Yeah, they are really awful with their resources. They find a lot of (laughs) objects in space. Yeah, they find them, and they just lose them again. Yeah. To be lenient, it it was bringing him in his his current state Mm -hmm. to Rimmer. So, if the ship was in that state, it didn't necessarily say it would fix it, did it? It just said it would just draw the two together. Yeah. 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 We don't really know how the rod suddenly starts working, though. If, if the Trojan couldn't jump in space using the rod, obviously something Rimmer does kicks it into life. Maybe it's just like, you know, smacking a, some form of electronics on, on the side well, and it's starting see, it, to work again. It but. interacted with the uh, field of uh, Rimmer's advanced Legion-built light bee, and there you then go. <laughs> uh, they, it reversed the polarity of the neutron flow. And... <laughs> That's actually yeah. another question. Howard was a hard light hologram. Did they invent hard light holograms like a week after Red Dwarf blew up? <laughs> yes, they did. This is one of those things again that you can you have to it has to be a theory, but you can say that Legion might have been involved in one of his older forms in developing the hard light technology. <laughs> so while he still had with him millions of years later when he was resurrected, it was it you could say that it was commonplace on Earth. Um, you know, you think of it like the solid gram in the novels. Um, you know, we can assume that Rimmer just got unlucky because he died before it was uh, <laughs> invented. Okay. But the, given that the, the, I think the implication is that Howard definitely died after Rimmer had left the yeah, solar system. Yeah, yeah, I can so accept that. that just... possibility that the, because also the hard light hologram, Rimmer, Howard could have died. And then the ship could have been carried on for a thousand years, and then the hard light hologram could have been invented. Or he could have been a soft light hologram for a thousand years, and then the hard light hologram gets invented, and so they switch him over to it, or something mm. like that. 
Or then, it's just that, um, bear in mind, the hard light hologram could have been invented by Rimmer's time, but Rimmer is on a clapped out mining ship, and Howard is, while he is only a chicken suit repairman, he is still on a Space Corps Super Infinity Fleet ship. Maybe, but now Howard so, was pulled um, like as the ship was being destroyed. So, well, okay, but yeah, that could have happened well after his death. Okay, okay. But then, but then why would the hollow ships be made of soft light? <laughs> so you've got to start thinking about Holograms it. don't want to interact with people because they're arrogant. I think we're going to have to... They don't to, want to be touched by people. We're going to have to go to the MST rule. Uh, just <laughs> tell yourself it's just a show and you should really yeah. just relax. I've... I've got another plot hole if you want it. Oh, sure, why not? <laughs> uh, when he, when Rimmer was writing to his mother, he he told his mother he was passing every exam. Mm-hmm. So he should, so he should be the supreme commander of the universe by now. So why did Howard uh, aut- knew automatically he was on Red Dwarf? Because well, well, maybe they just carried on with the delusion. Maybe, maybe by this point, their mum was a bit old and delusional, and they just humoured her. They, they all knew that Rimmer would never make it. Well, because so just, oh yeah, whatever. Rimmer's mom wasn't in the space corps, so she didn't have the records. Whereas his brother could just look up in the directory. Yeah. <laughs> Why I'm not? just saying. I'm just saying. So Rimmer's oh. Alzheimer's stricken dementia. Oh, that's very sad. <laughs> well, okay. Well, maybe. Maybe Rimmer is just the worst at lying. <laughs> and like all of the brothers were lying about their rank yeah. and they're all chicken soup repairmen. Which, by the um, way, I have to give <laughs> Angela totally predicted this. Like we were yes, watching the episode and as soon as we found out that Howard was going to be on there, then she was like, oh, he wasn't a captain. He was he was doing the same thing Rimmer was doing and lying. And I bet he he's like a, a janitor or something. And yep. Oh, me yeah the thing is because he's got three brothers it doesn't detract from the notion. also if you if you assume that howard is the i think howard is meant to be the second youngest anyway so you can still assume that the two older rimmer brothers are still heroic and it just turns out that howard was also a cowardly one mm-hmm. so I, I don't think it detracts from which i've seen some people say i don't think it detracts from the thing of rimmer having the more successful brothers because john and frank could still quite clearly be more successful <laughs> Yeah, and the I parents to presumably just, just brush it under the carpet. Yeah. I'm assuming they absolutely know what's going on, but they just go, oh, my boys, they're yeah. so fantastic. Now look the other way. Hmm. <laughs> I still choose to believe that they're all chicken soup repairmen. <laughs> so well, maybe we'll find out one day. We'll, we'll, find out that, we'll find out that one of them's a tomato soup repairman. Oh, there you go. Much <laughs> oh, better. Oh, yeah, that's okay. much better. It's like three whole ranks above. Um, one thing I thought was interesting was that after in uh, Series 9, yes, I know, not Series 9, but for the sake of yes, convenience, Series 9, series nine um, they they make a joke about beaming and no, no, we don't do that. No, that's a Star Trek thing. And then they were using that teleporter a lot like a, <laughs> a, a transporter on on the Enterprise. Even the, the three pods, it looked just like a transporter. Had. Well, I suppose because the whole ship was a Star Trek parody. I mean, the, the outfits mm-hmm. are so next generation. Oh, yeah, they, the are. oh they were awesome. Extended Star Trek uh, nod or homage or spoof, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. I just thought that was, was interesting. Yeah. 
and that bit of music as well, which I thought was because I don't know if you if you know as well, but that um, Howard Goodall was back actually composing original music for this series, having oh. not been around for Back to Earth. They did manage to eventually find a budget for to, to get Howard in, um, and he did do some original music for this episode. But the music that plays when it shows them towing the Trojan, mm-hmm. um, which is that very sort of next generation Mm -hmm. parody type thing i don't think that's actually original i think it's library music and the reason i think it's library music is that it's currently being used on a halifax advert over here (laughs) so someone else has obviously found it as well and gone oh that sounds a bit heroic and have decided to use it Hmm. um but the but there's there's other stuff like the the incidental music when um uh the whole when they're jumping after the phone you know when that slow motion bit's Mm. going on because that piece was called going for the phone because howard goodall gave it away on twitter when he posted a picture of what he was working on at the time nice. and that the title was going for the phone. And obviously he reuses some of the original cues yeah, as well, which is always nice to hear. picked up on the the uh, Rimmer song but, uh, at Howard's death. Oh, yeah. Well, again, that was, yeah, he, he recomposed that, but I love mm-hmm. that he worked in the, the Arnold Rimmer song when Howard was dying in, a, in that somber way. That's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. What else should we talk about with the plot? Um, apparently hard light drives, they get clogged up with resentment and going yes. over bad memories. I like that. And and, and the stupid the face. face. Uh, brilliant. I mean, I was laughing at the, you know, the, the spinning, the spinny thing. So, so the the, the sp- spinning wheel of death. Yeah. Spinning yes. beach balls of doom. Well, I, I didn't want to say that because I thought that might be a quote, but. But, Sorry, yeah. I just thought you were getting it wrong on purpose. <laughs> I'll just say it. No, no. But but yeah, and that reminded me of like the Xbox with the red light of death and yeah. Well, I think it I think it's I think it's just good. proof that Doug uses a Mac. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Indeed. If 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 he was a PC user, Rimmer would have turned blue, and it would have been the blue yeah. screen of death. <laughs> little blue circle that keeps going. Oh, you know what I mean. Yeah. If I can, I say something I no. that I no. really dislike about this episode. Sure. No, shut up. <laughs> Go on. Oh, oh yeah, um... don't ruin the moment. <laughs> it's Crichton's little dance when he's complaining on the phone. No. Oh, that no. was funny. Brilliant. No, this is the thing I was talking about with the wrestling thing, right? Shane, do you remember Akeem? Yes. Do you not think that dance was like Akeem's dance? I never thought about that, to be perfectly honest with you. I didn't particularly notice the dance. I'm going to have to go back and look. Uh, it's, it's just his angry frustration. But yeah. it's, The thing Stop is, it's, I know people complain sometimes about the kind of you know whiny or angry Crichton, but that scene showed that harnessed correctly, sort of yeah. Robert Llewellyn suddenly going over the top with Crichton can be mm. very, very funny. Oh yeah, yeah I am. He, he was frustrated rather than whiny and yeah. screamy. I am well, very, and... very against the "you're lying." Yeah. But no, no, this was yeah, this was funny. I thought. Plus, it comes right after his boast of "I know exactly yeah, how to handle yeah. this." Yeah, it's I'm a classic. This. Quick cut <laughs> gag. Yeah. Yeah. I love his reaction as well um, when Rimmer orders him to wipe his memory yes. and then to wipe the order of yeah. wiping his memory. And the little look on his face when he's wiped his memory and then he just looks around and is taken aback wondering right. where he is. Yeah, that was great. It's so well played. Like Can I quantify what I've just said? Oh, no. Don't you think I don't mind the close-up, but when it goes to the full shot... It look. It makes his his costume look tacky, doesn't it? it? Well, yeah, and 
when 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 you got the angle on the close up, you know that's good. But when he goes into the fourth frame and does that little dance, now that takes that gag one step further, and it goes into season eight mode. I didn't no. notice it. I'm sorry. No problem. Um, episode ruined. <laughs> yeah, I think it it probably went on a little bit too long, but it was. It was so different from episode uh, the series eight, rather. That yeah, it was fine. It yeah. worked. I got to give props to the actor who played Howard. Mm. Oh, he's That's so good, oh, yeah. so yeah, good, Mark Dexter. It's not so easy you know. to be Chris Barry when you're not Chris Barry and, <laughs> and be different enough. But yeah, I, I, he's instantly one of my favorite guest performances in the entirety of Dwarf. I think he just absolutely nails that. Very yeah. much. And we missed the THT. Is it THT? THT. What? Touch head technology. Oh, touch. Touch T. Yeah. Touch T. Yeah. Yes. Touch telepath. Yes. 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 His little. That's amazing. That's exactly. What <laughs> yeah, I think they just about got away with it at the end of it, but yeah, when they were doing it, I thought, Ah, no! I know what you're doing. <laughs> Though I'm, yeah. I was like half afraid that uh, Lister was about to crush somebody else's skull, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah straight on from Back to Earth Part Three. It's a bit more. We've we've all had like three years in between those two yeah. scenes, but yeah. we had a few weeks. Yeah. Um, um, what, what interesting thing about Mark Dexter is Howard actually just a little thing, and I don't know if it was true of anyone else. Nick, you might be able to say this because again, you were at the recording, but mm. obviously the first that you're aware of him is the um, the the voiceover, you know, the distress call. Um, and I remember hearing that at the recording and actually turning to Capsie and whispering, it's David Mitchell playing Rimmer's brother. Cause it really <laughs> so we didn't know who was going to step out of that pod and be playing Rimmer's brother. And then it was Mark Dexter and we were all like, we don't know who this guy is. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's a very good actor. And he's in Doctor Who as yeah, well. Yeah, he plays the dad in the library. Yeah. Does- oh. But no, I didn't, I didn't think he was David Mitchell. Oh, okay. Uh, it might have just been me. It, <laughs> it might be the been, only was... person out of 300. Yeah, there was some sound problems with some of the pre-record stuff as well so it was a bit hard to pick up um, that whole that final sequence because they played that out of order what they actually did with the recording was they did the first few scenes i think possibly up to the moose gag or maybe even excluding that um, certainly up to and including the first scene on the trojan then they jumped to everybody being in the star trek outfits and howard's arrival missing out the middle 10 minutes so Doug had to describe what was meant to happen in the middle yeah. 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Then they did that. Then they showed the pre-record of that final climactic sequence which yeah as Nick says they had problems playing the sound out over the monitors so actually we couldn't make out a lot of what was happening in the scene and then finally they went back and picked up some of some but not all of the middle scenes <laughs> with them in their proper costumes. On yeah, the, I, did on they the explain why they why they had to do that was it just I think it just must have been to do with setting up the cameras and costume changes or something like that. I don't, I don't really know because mm. it's like they do do some stuff with them in their proper costumes on the bunk room set. So why do they yeah. then jump to the Trojan set and then finish up on the main set? It was a bit. Yeah, sort... I didn't get that because they, they seemed like they could have avoided like extra costume changes had they kind of done it in order and maybe just done like the end scene earlier on yeah and then done the costume change into the star trek stuff and then done all that kind of middle third almost of the episode 
This is all uh, going to be meaningless to the rest of you, by the way. Yep. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I also, I've I also... actually got in front of me the uh, Ganymede and Titan episode one set report uh, written by the great Ian Symes. There's a great Ian Symes? I know about the regular <laughs> <laughs> He's He's okay. <laughs> I've I've got to be kind. <laughs> what does it say? He asked. <laughs> and now Sorry, I just I assumed that was what you were going to. Yeah, exactly. I was exactly about to say what you 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 said actually. To be honest with you, there was actually a. Um... God, Ian's never had an original thought in his life. But... <laughs> oh. There's actually a great um, little story about when he. When they actually got to Shepparton Studios, oh uh, yes, <laughs> when they were got turned away from the front gate and told to make a twenty-minute detour uh, along the roads around the perimeter of the complex, if it wasn't, if it was not for the fact we had contact detail for the people that were already there, there was a good chance we wouldn't have found the concealed and remote service entrance we needed to go through. Yeah, you know because what? the tickets had said to go to the main entrance and it yeah. turned out to be the service entrance. So, I, just, uh. I just walked straight through the main entrance, right past all the security, <laughs> walked all the way through all the lots and then kind of found where everyone was waiting in that little um, yeah. conservatory-type like reception area. And, and no one had really kind of batted an eyelid, so I don't know what we, was going we, on. We just got... I, I, think, I think the person who was on the desk had just taken over on the shift when we got there and they were obviously a bit more of a stickler. So, uh, yeah. But we got there in the end, and we saw the episode. And they filmed it. I think they were Hooray! Quite late <laughs> yeah, it's a good job they had some cameras there, I tell you, because if yes. we'd have had to just describe the episode to everyone, that would have... No, uh, we would have all just filmed it on our phones, and they would have pieced it together from phone footage. <laughs> God, that was... They, they, it was a while. Because recording was so long before broadcast, um, they didn't want to play their hand with showing the set too far before um, broadcast. So there was a strict thing of do not put any photos online mm. um you know and generally the fans were because doug doug had to come out before every single recording and basically gave a personal message to the fans saying look you know it's great that we've got the audience back we know that you want it in front of an audience but i had to fight to convince the broadcaster that people wouldn't just post spoilers and photos on the mm. internet at the moment of the recording and i think i genuinely think that because he took the time to say that personally to the fans rather than it just being like printed on the tickets or whatever i think that played a big part in like 99% of the fans being absolutely amazing and not giving stuff away. There was one instance where some photos of the set got online for about a day and had to be mm. taken down. Uh, they, were, they, they, were, they were heavily leaned upon by GMP in the end. But um, I, I also think it's a case of it's part, you're part of a uh, group of people that are invested in fandoms where you don't want things to be spoiled when you're watching something else. Yeah, so it's the good so, nature of the fans yeah. not want to ruin it for other people. Yeah, but you can't always rely on that. <laughs> I think some people yeah. just have the thing of, "Oh, I've seen this, so I'm going to smugly tell everyone what it's all about." You know, mm. but no, yeah. Red Dwarf fans are good. So, um, so let's see. We need to, I guess, wrap up the episode itself. Um, Rimmer gives his uh, heart-rending confession that he only has one. Oh, uh, Chris Berry with his cars. <laughs> what kind of car was it? Lamborghini. Yeah. Yes. Um, and yeah, it sort of ends on a interesting note there. I, 
really hopeful for the rest of this series. I'm hoping that they Mm -hmm. sort of keep with this tone, but um, I don't know where they're going from here. Or if they're going to try to incorporate the new technology with the Trojan as the MacGuffin to uh, bring in the rest of the plots for the series or what. So, I don't know. Can I ask how you both found it compared to the other series? Because I, I think it's so uniquely different well uh, uh well, we got on the internet on YouTube, and then uh no. on YouTube. <laughs> sorry that's an old joke actually i am interested in that question because it's not on uh it, series 10 is not on netflix is it so. um youtube less said about that the better <laughs> no it's nothing i mean we didn't do anything illegal it's on youtube no. if they want it off youtube yeah, exactly. they can take it off youtube but yeah exactly yeah. but i mean it's just, it's I, I find it so different. It's it, well, it's a mix of a lot of things, and and I just wondered how you thought. Um, you know, at, at this point, <laughs> I know we, that's such an old joke. How, how do you find the wine? I'd look to my left, and there it was. Um, so, uh, going just by one episode, you can never because a lot of times, like the first episode of a series will be weak, and then the rest is strong, or the first is awesome, and then they go way off track. So you can't really speak to the whole series by one episode, but I'm liking the feel. It feels like sort of that nice, comfortable spot from series like three to six, where they were, you know, they had had found their characters and pacing and and were just putting out reliably good episodes, with a few exceptions, in series three. Um, But yeah, that's that's what it's feeling like to me. It's feeling more like classic Red Dwarf. Um, Yeah. And Which I is think what they, they were going for. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And they've done incredibly well to achieve that. Yeah. And I, I mean, think that's a good thing. Yeah. So. Now, of course, you know that I, by and large, am pro Kachansky. I thought that if they, that there was a better, there were better ways to use her than they eventually did. Um, but yeah, if they weren't going to use her to further the plot or develop Lister's character in the ways that I kind of thought they should have. Um, yeah, probably best to just go ahead and and leave her out and go back to what they were doing. Yeah. How did you... I'm not, I don't want to... Sorry to drag out the discussion just that bit further, but I am interested to know what you guys made of the sets because obviously it's quite a drastically different look while still having a lot of touches to the past. And mm. I'm a big fan of the Series 10 sets, so I wondered what you guys thought of it the look of it i thought it looked fairly clean um to be honest i was more interested in the and the dialogue and writing and conversations going on so i didn't really cast an eye to mm-hmm. it so in that way the sets were doing their job by not drawing my attention uh of course the the trojan itself looked very sleek and and shiny but as yeah. far as the red dwarf uh, as far as red dwarf rather not the red dwarf um <laughs> yeah i didn't notice it being markedly different like i did in nine um so although it is it is actually the same uh set as back to earth just very heavily repainted and repurposed yeah. but the actual layout and everything mm. is it, it they did reuse a lot of the same bits of the back to earth set well back, they decided to go a completely different way with the colors back to earth though aside from the color differences it was filmed so differently with the zooming in from the outside of the ship and trying to be mm. so cinematic and in this they sort of gone went back to keep the camera in one place where the actors can talk to each other for a while and i think that's what red dwarf does best their bottle episodes are among my favorites so mm. I guess that the way that they filmed it made it seem more like classic Red Dwarf as much as the set looking more like itself. 
Which is interesting because it's the the filming is this weird mixture of, as you say, I mean, kind of the, the classic sitcom fixed multi-camera setup but whereas most multi-camera sitcoms would have say you know three four five cameras dotted around it was still only done with two cameras mm-hmm. and the cameras were still on tracks and they were still these high definition cameras and doug does still there's a few instances i think there's maybe one in this episode where doug likes to do a swooping shot where he follows the camera into the room it's like whenever Crichton's walking into a room and he's got mail the camera often kind of follows him so it's this weird mixture of him doing the classic audience sitcom format but also throwing in the tricks that he learned while mm-hmm. making Back to Earth on a closed set, four walls, like a movie. And it's like he's almost invented this new way of shooting a sitcom, which is an audience sitcom that is shot like a modern non-audience sitcom. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, was it, was it only it works. Was it only two cameras? I thought it was four. Yeah, because no, no, it's two because those cameras are big and expensive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's, I don't think they could afford four of them. Um, so yeah, it's it was yeah. Shot with a with a much higher setup, unless it was maybe three. But I'm pretty sure I remember. I've, I've, wow, I've just, only got two cameras there. Just <laughs> thinking back, thinking back to the we're smegged, and they're talking about the blocking the scenes and stuff. And he's saying like, "Oh, camera one is doing this, and camera two is doing that, and camera three is doing this." Hmm. Maybe it was three then, but I yeah, think some of the scenes three. were definitely shot with just two. Maybe they had three available, but I think it, because it was so tight and small as well, the actual space. Um, that bunk room set is not very big. Um, I think they made the think... ship feel bigger with the way they shot it, but uh, yeah. it was, a, as you know, it's a very enclosed yeah. set. So that that the bunk room and the and the drive room take up like half the studio. Mm-hmm. You've only got mm-hmm. like one half of the studio left for the set of the week, as it were. Yeah. Um, I do have a question, actually, if that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, with limited amount of cameras, one would assume that they would have to repeat scenes. To get a, a, a uh... each scene was shot at least twice, maybe three times. There were, yeah. yeah, it was it was done multiple takes rather than all the way through. More more so on the Trojan set as well. I think yeah. the stuff on the bunk room set was only once or twice. Um, if they if they got it in one take, they went back and just redid it again. So they had extra shots and that. But I, I seem to remember the stuff on the Trojan set going on for most of the night. And being sat sort of at the other end of the studio. Yeah, same here. <laughs> it wasn't really, wasn't really seeing much. I was kind of like uh, just where the like where the corridor is next to the bunk room. Um, so I couldn't really see anything that was going on down on the Trojan set for most of the night. Well, now one thing that they can do, and I don't know that Red Dwarf does this or, or how common this is, but with editing now... Um, if using those 4K cameras uh, that get things at about four times the resolution they're going to need them at, um, you can do a lot with taking one broader shot and then edit down yeah. just oh, part, yeah. part of that shot to the angle you need. They, they did that in Back to Earth with one shot um, of Crichton. They, it was a wide shot on the set of Cory, and they cut it down to a close-up of his yeah. just his face. And you can do that without loss of, of resolution. Mm. Yeah, because you st- you've basically got like four HD panels to work with, so yeah. you can kind of zoom into a quarter, and you've still got like one HD resolution. Those are amazing cameras. Ten eighty p. Yeah. Um, let's see then. So, any more points about the episode before we move on? Shall we? Shall we talk about the big production snafu that I? Um, just told you, sir, before we went we started recording, and I'd not noticed this. So this is uh, <laughs> this is new to me as of tonight. <laughs> <laughs> just um, when 
Oh god, Sim Crawford transports off the ship. It cuts back to um, the rest of the gang, and you can actually see it for a very split second walk off frame left. I've never spotted that. Hmm. For a very split second. Hmm. Huh. That's weird. I can actually. Uh, I can actually give you an exact time code. It's, uh, on the version I've got in front of me, it's 23, 15 to 16. Okay. Uh, we'll have a look at that later. I'm going to put it up now while we're talking. <laughs> hey, if you're, if you're going to watch it on your computer, grab a screenshot maybe. We'll toss that I, up I on have, the site. Yeah, I've got one. <laughs> oh, good. good. I, have you got it? Yeah. I have to say, I, I wasn't the person noticed that I got to give the shy take to the Skycast boys for that one. All right. Cool, cool. That's really weird because those they did a lot of like the like teleport stuff and uh, Rimmer freezing and that. They did all that. Um, they'd sort of do the shot and then like stop and hold it and then like cut the scene and sort of let everyone kind of reset themselves because they had to like add effects on over the top. Cool, cool. Um, well, let's see then. Uh, I guess we will wrap up this episode and we will pause for a minute, uh, give a shout out to one of our fellow podcasts and come back with some quotes and reviews and whatnots. Advert will commence in five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to Know This. I'm Rosie Summers. And I'm Jonathan Caps. Well, maybe you just weren't as um, bright as me, like, I guess. I like things with a bit of a narrative to them and a bit of writing. Like, is it great or get hooked to king? You know, if I do something wrong here, <laughs> the little guy's going to die. I've been obsessed with a dwarf as long as I can remember. I do remember with Pox, I, I wanted every single one. Back to the Future, Bill and Ted, Naked Gun films. Labyrinth, Never Ending Story. <laughs> Because we have an interesting Sonic versus Mario going debate. That <laughs> yeah, we, could, we uh, know how into. that's going to end up. There is a very large group of people that enjoy the show pretty much based on the fact that they want Rimmer and Lister to f- We're not going to go on about Red Dwarf all evening. I started da- designing my own maps, so we... <laughs> that was... What a nerd. So here it is, a brand new podcast about everything geek. Uh, we're going to call it Know This. And Know This, Jonathan Caps. Let's get the f- on with it. And we're back. Hopefully everyone enjoyed that lovely ad for a podcast that's coming very, very soon. This is actually Shane and Rosie speaking to you from the future. <laughs> <laughs> The day after we recorded the rest of this particular episode, because on yesterday's recording, we had so much fun, we actually re- forgot to read some of your feedback. <laughs> so, we, we, so I thought we'd get, I would get together with Rosie now and read some of your feedback, because it's very, very important to us. Yeah, and I didn't get to do my Heath impression. I'm very disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, please, Rosie, go ahead now. Okay, you ready? And we're back. (laughs) No. (laughs) 
It's worse than his Rosie impression. <laughs> yes. Okay, anyway, carry on, Shane. <laughs> so, uh, we would start with Ross Greeno. Ross Greeno says, Not bad. Wish, wish Chris Barry would have played Rumi's brother rather than this soapy other soapy actor. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> and then Jonathan Capps says... The only problem with Mark Dexter as Howard is there wasn't nearly enough of him in this episode. This is a great episode, a heartening return to form, and basically achieving everything Series 8 failed to do. So, conflict in opinion there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> I thought he was really good. We didn't really talk too much about him. Um, no, we didn't. Um, in, no, on the didn't. episode. Um, but yeah, I thought he, he was really good. I mean, the I, I think I did say this, the touch T thing mm. was a bit much but yeah I think he was definitely a good pick mm. so okay carry on Shane thank you <laughs> uh, Darren Forrester writes Doug is back and this time he means business great start to the new series some um, minor nitpicks but nothing like the problems of 7 till 9 yeah uh, Phil Baker says I was excitedly anticipating this episode for three years and it didn't disappoint Sam Highland um, says it doesn't quite capture the feel of the earlier six seasons, but it's certainly close. There are some great gags in this, and the plot re- revolving around Rimmer's siblings was a good idea. I will just say that as soon as the sim was introduced, I knew she was up to no good. <laughs> well, she had a very stern look. Okay, yeah. uh, Stephen Simpson says, great episode and a welcome return to what Red Dwarf should have been after Rob Grant left. Oh, you're getting all the long ones to read. <laughs> yes, I am. I know. I didn't notice. I didn't. I didn't notice this. Whoops. <laughs> um, Stephen Fletcher writes, "Love, love, love this episode. Such a great, strong start to Series X, and a wonderful return to form. Easy, one of the best they've done since Series Seven. IMO. <laughs> I know there is. I know there have been." complaints by, by other fans about the phone subplot, but it doesn't really bother or annoy me in rewatches as much as it, it as much as it has for other people. I do agree there should have been more of Rimmer's brother in this episode. Okay. Shall I read Gareth Edwards and Ewan Ancorn? As that's, that's uh, very long one. Yeah, please do. <laughs> they are quite long. Okay. Gareth Edwards says Trojan. It was a it was an great return to form for the new series it was an interesting way to link both the rimmers i know some uh, di- oh, see now i've forgotten how to read some don't like the populated universe but for me it works well and then you and ancorn uh, a very strong episode i love the moose moose stuff and howard rimmer is brilliantly played and written i really like how the actor playing sim crawford puts on the same accent as the female simulant from series five Danny John Jules is excellent in this episode and is actually and actually is arguably the strongest cast member throughout the series X. The A plot with Rimmer's resentment works well, although I'm not so keen on the B plot with Lister and the call centre. It's a bit of comedy that has been done to death already. Apart from that, though, the episode was a triumph coming back to a full series after so many years. It's not quite the level of one to one to six, but everything in everything is there the cast the writing the sets the soundtrack and the studio audience ah, I think that's pretty spot on <laughs> I, I agree actually yeah. Yeah, it does hark back to the uh, previous well the first six anyway yeah. um, 
Cheddarhead <laughs> says, uh, not one of my favourite from Series X, but it left me with the strongest feeling of optimism for Red Dwarf's future after the disappointment of the last three series. Everything seems to have come to... Everything seems to have improved, in particularly the acting, the comedy, and the characterization. Okay. <laughs> See, now I'm on the long ones. <laughs> Nick Ridley says, I do think the guest cast makes the universe seem less claustrophobic in a way. For example, that series one, two vending machines never did. The all-droid network should inhabit this, the uncanny valley, even if the call centre is in robo-Scotland. I don't care for the revelations with Rimmer's family law. Rimmer family law, really. I prefer the Rimmer who thought his fly, high-flying brothers liked him. There needs to be a, God, uh, a darn good reason when Cat dresses the same as the rest of the crew, uh, crew but one is, isn't provided. I don't believe he'd do it as a favour to Rimmer. However, Series X, IMO, <laughs> okay, it's great for Cat material in general, but my complaints for the episode are just niggles, really. The ship looks great and the laughs are there. I like comedy, angry Crichton and spinny Lister, so ha. <laughs> the episodes found a comfortable balance between between what seven and eight brought to the dance and the rest of the silly series thanks Nick thanks Nick Paul Hesley writes the day after it aired you couldn't move from moose references on social media or even in real life that speaks how much Red Wolf is loved and how funny the joke and the episode as a whole was that the only downside Crichton looks weird and still no Holly. Doug has to get over his normal and nothing ideals. Oh well, five more episodes of New Dwarf and things are looking rosy at this point. It's a bit of a back and forth here. Do we want to read all this out? Uh, Well, I'll just do it quickly. (laughs) Uh, Sam Highland says, The lack of Holly is a weird thing. There's no reason he couldn't write lines for Norman. And if he doesn't want to do it, ask Hattie. Mm. Yeah. yeah, there's a bit of a back and forth about yeah. Hattie and Norman, and I think we talked about that anyway. Um, we certainly did, yeah, we certainly did. Now we have some voicemail feedback. First up is our good friends Nutchy and Tech. Then it will be Ian from the brand new Down Below podcast. Hi, Heath, Angela, Shane, and Paul. Hi, I'm Tech. <laughs> So we just finished watching Trojan for the second time after seeing it the first time when it first aired. Thoughts? There's so many things to like about Red Dwarf X, and all of them are immediately apparent in the first couple of scenes of Trojan that now Nine Back to Earth was very, very good, but very different than all the others. And it was very mature, grown up with a very emotional plot, and this is Red Dwarf series two. Yeah, this is this is the again. boys from the dwarf. This just this is the feels boys from the dwarf. Red Dwarf. Feels very red. Cat doing the oh down the corridor, and he's got the suit and the hair. And uh, did you notice how they had to alter Crichton's suit to fit his stomach because he's now a little and bit neck. bigger and his neck? Yes. yes. Well. Let's talk about how much older everyone looks. Well, of course. I mean, everyone looks so much older, and it's very apparent on Chris Berry, but Danny John Jules. Oh, he doesn't age. Looks amazing. <laughs> he looks the best of them all. But it's really funny when even Crichton looks older. 
I will give my one big criticism that I have of this entire series is that they got rid of the bridge chairs that they yeah. used on the Blue Midget. Yeah. Or not, not Blue Midget, sorry, on Starbug. Yeah. Which were actual, uh, I think they were Martin Baker ejector seats out of a jet, but they're office chairs on casters with hose lights on the sides, and they wheel the chairs around on the bridge. How do you fly a starship from an office chair? I don't know. It's horrible. I'll just go back to the old bridge but set. But it's, it's the, the bridge series. of the, the Red Dwarf, not the Starbucks. So, well, no, yeah. but go back to the original set yeah. from the bridge with the standing console. Well, and it's interesting how um, the kitchen area of the Starbucks and the bunk area from Red Dwarf are now morphed into one set. Mm, one big common room. Yes, yes. Um, but yeah, no, we definitely had a lot of fun. I really enjoyed seeing Howard. That he's just a vending machine repairman. Ah, so good. Spinning beach balls of doom. Very cool. Ah, the beach balls in the eyes. Yes. And the metal, the golden oblong of pluck. Yes. But, um, as one final note to my American and British friends and to the rest of the people around the world, please don't pluralize moose. It is one moose, two moose, three moose, six moose, a dozen moose. Did they say mooses? Oh, they said mooses many times. At least it wasn't meese, which yeah, no. people try to make the whole goose, geese, moose, meese joke. No, 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 no. It is, it is multiple moose. But it was, it was a good ga- running gag, though. Like, oh. that's how you do a running gag properly. Oh, when Cat gets the question right. <laughs> oh, I love Wait, that. Wait, is he Swedish? It's a moose. It's a moose. <laughs> So that was really good, and what's the next one? I think it's Father's Day. Is the next one Father's Day? Wait. We we don't have it open anymore, do we? Hold on, I'll get it. Oh, hurry up. Oh, no, well... We're already over three minutes. Editing, editing, editing. This is where Nuke Joss is editing, editing. Or Shane. Editing, editing. Okay, ha, ha, ha. Suck it, Shane, you're editing. Red Dwarf, I'm not typing in Red Dwarf editing, I'm typing in Red Dwarf X. Red Dwarf X Wikipedia. Heath and Angela aren't allowed to go there. Mm, fathers and Sons. Fathers and Sons. I am looking forward to that one. We will send you another voicemail when we rewatch that. That opinion spoilers, that is one of my favorite episodes of the entire series. And I will say nothing. It could be my favorite. I'm not sure. Bye, guys. Hope you guys are enjoying Series X. Bye-bye. I was tech. (laughs) Hello there, Keith, Angela, Shane, and everyone else who's there. Can't be sure these days. Anyway, it's Ian here from the brand new, down below, IntroCast. I've been meaning to contribute for a long while, but I've finally got around to it. Anyway, we're into Season 10 and Trojan. Now, I first started in Season 5 when a friend of mine had the DVDs and then about a month or two later, Season 6 came on. So I've been watching for a long while and I really enjoyed it. It's what got me into sci-fi. Anyway, with Season 10, I just felt like it was just a return to the good old days. And uh, Trojan kickstarts things brilliantly. There's some great character progression for Rimmer. Uh, and uh, some fun jokes along the way. Uh, of course, there's the um, Swiss, you know, the uh, whole moose thing. 
Anyway, um, I'm really enjoying the show, and I hope to send some better feedback in the future. Bye, guys. We have a few things on Twitter. Uh, this Richards says, It was a moose! <laughs> um, but, 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 besides the joy of the new Red Dwarf, I have to say Mox Dexter was one of the best guest stars in a long time. Now the casting on him. Uh, one more? Mm-hmm. Uh, from Claire Calvert. Uh, uh, I loved this episode. I was lucky enough to be in the, at the recording and have watched it many times since with no less enjoyment. Mox Dexter is just perfect and the moose joke is priceless. Among my top ten Red Dwarf episodes. And that is it for feedback. So thanks very much for your feedback. You can send feedback at as I try to remember the email address, because I, tend, I don't tend to do this, as heats. <laughs> you can send uh, feedback at the Red Dwarf Podcast at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash Red Dwarf Intro. That's Red Dwarf Intro, all one word. So, thanks for, uh, thanks for uh, joining me, Rosie, on this uh, special feedback edition. Okay. <laughs> We'll be back after this uh, second ad for Sir Patrick's brief history of time travel and new normal service to resume after that advert. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll be back in a bit. In the tradition of Hitchhiker's Guide, Red Dwarf, and any other show you already like, comes A Brief History of Time Travel. A sci-fi sitcom about love. First she didn't really like me, and then we got to know each other, and then she still didn't really like me. Action! You have to minimise your interactions with people. Try to blend in. What's that on your fist? Tell me that's your blood. I said minimise, not completely avoid. Suspense! You can't shoot me before I'm born. Won't that create some kind of massive paradox? Nope, no paradox. No, that can happen. Yeah. Intrigue. The conspiracy theorists were sure that you were the most likely candidate. They think I was more likely to be Shakespeare than Shakespeare? And excitement. It's a golden rule of time travelling that you can always find a recent newspaper in the nearest rubbish bin. You know, I almost never had to do this kind of thing before I met you. A Brief History of Time Travel. A radio sitcom on the internet. Launching Monday, 23rd of September at abriefhistoryoftimetravel.com. I quite liked playing the role of a dashing adventurer in time with two idiot companions for company. Writing roles. You mean starting fires and fraudulently stealing intellectual property rights? Yes, exactly. Golden days. <laughs> and we're back, and it's time to rate this episode. As usual, our guests get the honour of going first. Uh, hey, Rosie, why don't you rate the episode? Hi. I really loved the comeback to series 10 or series x <laughs> extreme yeah it, it's a call back to all the series that i loved not that i didn't love all of them but for this one i will give it mm, i'm gonna have to go high because i really loved it so nine out of ten rainbow resentment is of doom Nice. You don't have to apologize for giving a high rating to Red Dwarf. <laughs> that just sounded very apologetic. Okay. Sorry. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> I have to say that I liked this. No, it I wasn't didn't. terrible. 
lovely, absolutely lovely. I completely <laughs> failed to gouge out my eyes after watching it. Um, so, <laughs> who wants Sorry, to go then. go next? Love you, Angela. Love you too, Rosie. <laughs> Get a room. <laughs> I'll go next. Who knows? Go well, unless you want the guest to go. All right. Um, okay. I actually like this. Fast period to series eight, and um, yeah, it, it it was good to see a regular set rather than the um, CGI thing that they had for series uh, Back to Earth. So I shall give it eight Swedish meatballs out of ten. Lovely. Meatballs, um, I should say. I'll go if you if Please. Nick's still thinking about his. Yeah, uh, yeah go <laughs> um, on. I'll go after you. Go um, yeah, I mean, I, well, I I love this. Uh, you know, pretty much without condition. I mean, I'm not going to call it a return to form because I love Back to Earth as well. Um, but I think the best thing that can be said about it is that it's possible to say it's great without any kind of qualification. It's not like oh, it's good for New Red Dwarf or you know, oh, it's good. You know, they did. They had a good effort, even though it was on Dave and it was low budget and all this, that, and the other. It is simply a good episode of Red Dwarf that has a decent plot, an excellent guest cast, and that is very funny. Uh, I mean, I find it hard to disassociate it from the joy of going to see it being recorded and seeing Red Dwarf being recorded for the first time and all of it being wrapped up in all of that joy. But I do just think, objectively, uh, it's a great episode and it stands up there with red dwarf it is a proper episode of red dwarf so for that reason i would give it eight out of ten platinum stars of fortitude (laughs) uh nick uh i yeah basically everything seb just said um it is great (laughs) yeah uh it's great um i love i love the new sets i think personally i think those sets are my favorite sets that they've ever done uh i think the moose gag is my favorite gag they've ever done um, obviously there's a slight bias because as like Seb I was there watching it being recorded um, and at the premiere night as well so we got that um, I'm yeah I, all round I think it's absolutely fantastic I'm going to I'm going to give it 9 out of 10 Swedish moose cool Shane what can I say everyone else has said exactly what I was going to say <laughs> Uh, it. I have to say though, it doesn't seem what sixteen months ago this was on TV, something like that. Yeah, fifteen, sixteen months ago it, it was first broadcast on the first fourth of October, twenty twelve, and that doesn't seem a very long time ago, even though it was well over a year ago. Um, so I'm going to have to give it um, nine and a half out of ten. Damn it, I just had one right in my head now. Ah, 9 out of 10. <laughs> Felt it pens. Okay. Just just to add to what Shane just said about it, not only it not feeling like it was 16 months ago, and this is slightly yeah. cheating a bit considering it was filmed in December and now it's January, <clears throat> but it feels weird to say that this was recorded in 2011 and it's now 2014. Mm. Yeah. It makes it feel like it was a lot... Oh, it, it, and it doesn't at all, but you, you look at it that way and it feels like it was a lot longer ago than it uh, actually was. I um, I liked this episode. It It's making me very hopeful for Series 10. 
Um, they tried some new directions, I would say, in 7, 8, and 9, and some things about that I really liked. Uh, some things about that I think didn't work for a lot of folks. Um, I do kind of miss Kachansky and Holly, but as I've said, I, th- I feel like a lot of times they ended up underused, so cutting it down to basics may be the right decision, as much as I hate to say that because I love both characters. Um, so I'm giving this 8.5 out of 10... Uh, oh goodness, you already said moose. I was going to go with unavoidable <laughs> moose. Um, 8.5 out of 10 really, really coincidental meetings with your, with hologram brothers. <laughs> oh, I hate it when those happen. So frequent. <laughs> well, I am going to give it um, 9 out of 10 um... Oddly haunting hold music. <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, that's it. we were talking about the music before. That was something else I forgot to put out. That hold music mm. uh, is the lift music, or as you would call it, the elevator music yes. from Stasis Leak. When they're oh. taking the express oh. lift in Stasis Leak, it's exactly the same music. Nice. Which I thought was a nice touch. Yes. It sounded like a lullaby. Mm-hmm. Oh, Stir Masters. I should have gone with Stir Masters. Anyway. Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> So let's go ahead. Before we move on, there's two things we actually missed out. Uh, Number one, on the pig racing, the the commentator was Robert the Wellen. Oh, okay. Oh, do you know what I wanted to say about the pig racing? It was awesome, wasn't it? Well, people actually race pigs. Yeah. It just occurred to me watching it today that that is obviously footage that they found, and people in the world race pigs. I think that's bad. People raise babies. <laughs> no, they do. They I, don't know, I don't know what sort of parties you've been going to, Paul. No, I saw I saw a thing on on my Facebook wall the other day. Right? This, they have this. They have actual baby racing. They have the mothers in front of the babies, like with a gadget or something that the babies like, and the babies like crawl up towards the mother, and whoever gets there for first wins. Yeah, it's, that's true. Completely true. I've seen it myself. Yeah. The most random thing ever. <laughs> Although, you know, I get, they didn't really clarify on the pig racing, so I can see wandering into Android TV territory and picking up signals that have been going on still for three million years for um, Star Masters, but he was betting on pig racing. Who was he betting with? Uh, oh, he was just computer. having fun. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! No, yeah. it was a bet. No, he said he had a bet with one of the uh, food dispensers. Dispen- oh, a food dispenser. Okay, but he has. It's a bet with one of the dispensers. And I yeah. didn't know if he was yeah. watching it on one of their tapes that they do, or if they were still picking up random broadcast s- signals of pig racing. That I could only yeah. guess that it's an old recording and that they have a gentleman's slash gentle dispensers agreement not ah. to look ahead at the results. <laughs> okay, I'll buy that. Did I'll you notice? That. Did you notice what the um, currency on a dwarf is? Oh, dollar pounds. Yeah, we've talked about that before. Always dollar pounds. Sound yeah. as a dollar pound. Yeah, I had early on had speculated that there must be, um, as I'm assuming, a U.S.-British alliance that forms the Space Corps. Uh, not that there aren't other folks that use uh, dollars, but um, given that one of the main missions of the Space Corps was making a giant Coca-Cola ad, I'm I'm just going to say that, yeah, it's a U.S.-British alliance. Yeah. Yeah. Either that or America, uh, either that or Britain and Canada decided to gang up on America. Nice. <laughs> yeah. 
But also in Sherlock Holmes, uh, he speculates that the U.S. And, and Britain should get back together and not let, you know, that crazy syphilitic king thing get in the way of a sound relationship. Um, <laughs> Which has been on for half an hour, actually. Yep. We got to get to this. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, let's see. Everybody uh, has reviewed. Oh, yeah. What was the other thing, Shane? Uh, just to say that it was nice of the Red Dwarf crew to actually put a memorandum of Joe Howard right at the end. Yes, we had to look up who she was. She was a production manager? On she, she, she had yeah. been production manager and then she was producer on Back mm-hmm. to Earth. Uh, she's actually also has a cameo in Back to Earth. She's on an escalator with um, Howard Burden, yes. the costume designer. Yes. Uh, but yeah, she sadly passed away um, during 2012 in oh. the uh, build-up to the release of the series yeah there was there was also um also before the release of the series uh peter rag who was the uh one of the original model um well not not just the models but this but the special effects in general he was one of the main special effects supervisors throughout the earlier series uh he also uh passed away. i was gonna say last year but obviously it's 2012 uh so i think it's later in the series there's there's also a dedication to him yeah okay um, well, I think that brings us up to quotes. Oops. So, guess, you get to go first. Uh, let's see, let's switch it around to Nick. You want a quote? Uh, okay. Um, people are probably going to hate me for this. Yep, probably. Uh, I don't know what it is, but I'm going to say yes. <laughs> probably, yeah. How dare you, uh, sir? I'm trying to find it now. Hang on. Uh, oh, yeah. <clears throat> when we met Crichton, he was just a burnout old wreck on a junkie. Oh. And you rebuilt him, gave him something to live for? No, we just hosed him down and gave him a hat. <laughs> how much? Hold on. By by a by a round of yays, how many people's quote did he just steal? Nope. nope. It was one of mine, but it was a it was a possible one. That <laughs> is my else favorite joke ever. Sorry, Rosie. It's <laughs> all right. <laughs> Though Lister did rebuild him at one point, but nonetheless. Seth? Uh Go on then. I'll I'll go with a long one then. What uh, she said the first time. Hey. Sometimes you have to learn how to lose before oh, you're ready to win. I have that it's one. all in this fascinating book I'm reading. Oh, what's it called, sir? Sometimes you have to learn how to lose before you're ready to win. It's not a long book, Crichton, but it makes a good point, I think, which is sometimes you have to learn how to lose before you're ready to win. You've read it then. <laughs> nice impressions. Very much. Very much. Rosie, you go. Okay. No, the moose aren't in cars. Antlers out the sunroof. They're in the roads, moosing about, crossing roads, causing accidents. <laughs> you mean they're not looking left and right? Exactly. Not using the pedestrian crossings? Exactly. Not paying attention as to whether the little green man is a, uh, is a little green man or a red man? Of course not. They're mooses. Jeez, Swedes, they expect too much. <laughs> And after you slagged off the moose joke. I know, but is there anything funnier than... That was my revenge. Moosing about? <laughs> Just the phrase there in the roads, moosing about. I mean... <laughs> moosing about? Uh, uh, let's see, Paul... I've got it funny. If, if a Canadian person said that, they would be saying the moosing about. That's true. <laughs> That's yeah. Scottish. <laughs> Not no, uh, Canadians. Uh, Canadians. Uh, Canadians. Uh, uh, yeah. Mm. Owl sounds often end up as ooze. Yeah. Yes, I've got one. 
ahead. I'm guessing this is a hey ho, pip and dandy moment, sir. Oh, see, I had much more of that set down. Anyway. <laughs> well, you go on, Heath. Okay. The, Take care. Well, I will do the entire scene. Let's see here. Um, I could just continue the, it sounds like you have. So, um, anyway, the point is after reading it, I'm much more forgiving of my little faults and failures. Whatever the result, I shall accept it with calm equilibrium. Hey ho, Pippin Dandy. Can you never succeed at anything? You rancid, cancerous sack of sick. I, <laughs> and then I'm guessing this is a, hey ho, Pippin Dandy moment, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Rancid, okay. cancerous sack of sick. I love that. <laughs> it's up there with filthy piece of distended rectum, isn't it? <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> okay, uh, I picked this one, which Seb nicely transcribed for me, but I'm going to truncate just a little bit. Um, it's not about the Sturmaster anymore, Crichton. It's turned into something else, something bigger. I mean, I'm the last human being alive, damn it. And if I don't answer that phone and make a formal complaint, then who will? I'm a human being, damn it. My life has value. And if I have to die so that no other life has to go through this maze of hell, then so be it. I'm going for the phone. (laughs) Also a bit about Kachansky and a butt crack. (laughs) I had a backup here. Um... The average person who lives to their 90s and has six cups of coffee a day spends over two weeks stirring drinks. Oh, my. Two weeks? Uh, Think what you could do in that time. Two weeks stirring or two weeks skiing. I know what I'd rather do. (laughs) I'm I'm surprised nobody's done yet one that I thought would have been the the banker and which I actually ignored because I thought someone else would, but which is... But you were an utter twat. (laughs) (laughs) I largely ignored it because of the language. (laughs) I've been trying to find a bleep it. I've been trying. I almost swore there. I've been trying to find a a script so I can just do that whole bit. No, every single resentful person. I really resent that. <laughs> I'm not even given a quote yet, and people are stealing every single quote. Oh, I, I thought you were, I thought you were gone, Paul. I'm so sorry. No. <laughs> oh, there's oh, the man. there's the uh, the average corridor... person has three thousand thoughts a day. He only has three. Okay, let Paul go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. just go and get rid of every. <laughs> right, hold on. This is a corridor. Um, windows, of course. We tend to use it very much as. A corridor. So sorry. <laughs> you, yeah. My first week I... back in a in a while, and everyone's getting the payback on me. Fine. Sorry. I, I've got I've got one more on my list. Seeing as you're doing them all, because you were so jealous of me, it froze your entire system. Because you were so jealous of me, I made you that jealous. Me. <laughs> I think it just goes to prove that unlike the last couple of series that like this is a very very quotable episode that's true indeed you could you could quote almost the entire thing and it would be hilarious uh Crichton you have a real gift you make things that are really really complicated sound really really complicated (laughs) why could I not find a script because there is (laughs) there are no scripts there's quote sites but there's no scripts and the quote sites are mostly moose quotes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's there's why a, I had to ask for my favorite quote. <laughs> there's a bit 
just before he says, you're an utter twat, which I really like, but I can't quote it because I can't remember it. Is it the, uh, how did you get in the space core, your brain smaller than the salad section in a Scottish supermarket? That's ah. the... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'm all right, because that's the one I wanted to Do you want to do that one, then? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's just cruel. And welcome back oh, to Stealing Boys. Do you know what? It's been said, so that's all I'm happy about. Okay. It's been said. You could quote it and then chop out me. Yeah, but I could, I could solve it in the edit. <laughs> sort that out in the door. <laughs> we'll take care of it in post. What's post? Uh, here's one, Paul. Do you like that one? Oh, yeah, nice. Um... Yeah, it's all right, but I like the bit where you mentioned Salvador Dali. I can't believe no one mentioned that yet. It's um, it's so uh, it's, it's Salvador Dali, my turn. <laughs> okay. Well, I think we have uh, pretty much mined all of the quotes out of this episode. Uh, it is time then, Shane. What is the name of the next episode? Next episode is entitled Father and Sons. S- okay, you gave an odd Fathers emphasis on that sons. last word. Sons. That's spelled S U N S. Ah. Fathers and Sons. Okay, well, let's see if we can analyze this here. So, Fathers, yeah. well, we've explored Rimmer's relationship with his father back in Better Than Life. Um, Lister is his own. Lister is his own father. So that's it, yeah. Now, Cat, Cat's father was oh the idiot or the cripple. Um, uh, I think the idiot. The idiot, the, yeah. The cripple. The cripple. Okay. Oh, okay. So that I don't know. Awful. You know, that's that's okay, actually. No, Maybe wrong. And then Crichton, we have discussed his parentage. Yeah, yeah, we've had that. Um. Yeah, I, I, I'm going back to Cat here actually because. Early on, we had the the cat people had um, voyaged out into the universe to to find um, to find Fushili or whatever it was. Uh, we know that half half of Huge them, o. yes, half of them died instantly, but the other half we never really heard back from. So, are we going to get to the cat civilization um, that has evolved? parallel with cat they should all be intelligent cat people well not in, not all intelligent but you know um so yeah i i and sons so maybe they find a planet circulating a sun of cat people i want <laughs> I, want, I want cat people that's my prediction um i think it's going to be oh some sort of random crazy scientist because we haven't had that that bit in a while and he's going to be Kremlin creating Kate. huh Kremlin Kate was a crazy scientist she did lots of science with test tubes and close-ups <laughs> she did she was so pigment. much science she was a pigment um but yeah the crazy scientist person is going to be creating suns oh, and, and that's sons. going to yes mm. and that's going to cause problems okay Okay. In the temporal Hooji What's It's thing. So, find out next week. Is it cat people? <laughs> Is it a scientist creating suns causing temporal fluxi? Or science gibberish? What have you? Uh, or is it something completely different, like a llama? 
Heath, just, just, out, just out of interest, Heath, have you seen Identity Within yet? Not Identity. Yeah, Identity Within. Have you seen that yet? What's Identity Within? Yeah. Don't no. uh, be quiet. No, no, no. Uh, so apparently okay. not. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Shane keeps hinting that there's something coming up. Anyway. Okay. Um, yeah. okay. Shane, have you, <laughs> got the, have, you, have you got Silver Survey results for this? Oh, I so I do apologise, guys. I haven't put them up. I do apologise. Oh, I'll no. them up. I was I was going to ask that, but everyone keep nicking my quirks well, and my questions. Man. <laughs> it's all. Um, instead, <laughs> while Shane's looking for that, do you want to talk about the ratings for the for when it aired? Uh, I'll have to remind myself of the precise oh. figures, but yes. Oh, well, um, I've got them in front of me. So you talk about there. it, and I'll give you the facts. <laughs> Um, yeah, so the um, um, yeah, so the overnight ratings were 1.46 million viewers, which was a 6.3% audience share for that time slot, nice. uh, which was basically massive given that it was um, on a non-terrestrial channel uh, and was you know on Dave on a channel which generally doesn't get ratings over a million. Um, now Back to Earth did get higher ratings, but Back to Earth was on the Easter Bank holiday weekend, uh, so in terms of pure overnight figures, Back to Earth was higher, um, but the thing about Trojan was that it got a third of the audience that BBC One got that night, uh, only a million fewer than ITV, and it actually beat Channel 4, um, which uh, Channel 4 is one of the main terrestrial channels, but it was a Gordon Ramsay programme called Hotel GB, uh, and the overnight figures got 100,000 more. So it was it was impressive that it actually managed to beat, um, you know, terrestrial channels. On the makes one wonder the if the BBC of... might suddenly become interested in the audience that Red Dwarf <laughs> used to bring. Well, quite possibly. Uh, I mean, by the end of the series, the 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 figures didn't drop below a million at any point. Nice. Um, the the consolidated figures were always above a million. Uh, the average was one point six across the entire series. Sound. Trojan actually ended up when the consolidated, you know, the time shifted and so on, figures were brought in, hit two point oh nine million. Nice. Um, which, is, that including, you know, is that including Deja Vu? Uh, that is including Deja Vu, I think. It's def- it's consolidated, uh, which I say, which does include time shifting. It might not include Deja Vu. Uh, there, was, there was a figure called Reach, which is a bit more nebulous because it factors in all the repeats, uh, which got it up to 3.5. Uh, but that included kind of subsequent shows. For comparison, Back to Earth hit 2.6 at its mm-hmm. peak. Uh, which is still the highest rated original commission broadcast by a non-terrestrial channel in the UK, which I know it sounds like a lot of caveats, but um, I think, I think kind of in in digital terms, only Torchwood and sporting events have beaten Mm. um, Red Dwarf on Dave. But see, that's great because being on Dave, then it's, it's a little bit lower stakes. And if it does Mm. start cutting into the, you know, main BBC market share, then Splendissimo. And if not, well, hey ho, Pip and Dandy. Well, I mean, if it, if it had got half a million on Dave, that would be a success for right. Dave. Right. Um, it would look, it wouldn't look great in UK terms, but purely for Dave, that would be a massive hit. As it is, it was not only a hit for Dave; it was a hit on that night of television. Yeah. It was one of the top programs on that night of television. So, and in that slot. So. Silver Survey. Yeah. Yes. It uh, got the because it was number thirty. Wow. That's how high. many? Um, was sixty something? Sixty-two? Is it? Yeah, yeah. That's that's, that's high. That, that, that's 60, uh, sixty-one. Pushes it into the to- pushes it into the top thirty-six of the original six yeah. series as well. 
And your caution yeah. must remember as well that the Silver Survey was done what? Uh, two, three, four months after it had. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so it's still fresh in everyone's minds. Exactly, sure. but you know, it, it's it's high, but it's not undeservedly so. I don't think it's. Um, are, you, are you allowed to say how it relates to other series ten? Obviously, without no. saying the titles, I don't know if no. you want to know how it relates to no. other series ten episodes. Now, let's not. let's not do that, that yet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because if the rest of the series is going to tank, I don't want to know it yet. I want to still be hopeful. <laughs> hopeful. Okay. Well, cool. Uh, well, we will be back next week then. Uh, thank you. Uh, Nick and Seb and Rosie and Pedro and Carl and <laughs> all of our many, many guests this episode uh, for dropping by. And uh, we will be thank back. You for having us. <laughs> yeah, thanks again. As always. Thank you. Pleasure. So be sure and listen to Aboard the Night Bus and listen to lots of drumming and uh, go to the <laughs> official reddwarf.co.uk. Uh, yeah. And uh, a, Got it right. a brief history of time travel. And a brief history of time travel. So, awesome. Sorry, Seb. (laughs) Alright, I'll be back next week. Bye. 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 Bye